Your love broke through, found me in the darkness, wandering in the desert. Isn't that a good message? Isn't it good when you're found by God? To be found and discovered and known, to be able to know Him and to rejoice in His presence. Oh, so good. So, so good. A few years ago, uh, my brother and I, he has a little uh, storage area, and we went, began to go through a box together of my dad's uh, effects. Uh, he, my dad died many years ago, and uh, we just kind of were reminiscing about some things. And we came across one of his wallets, and uh, we began to open it and kind of go through it and think about uh, what, what would have been like uh, in his pocket. Where were the places that my dad went with this wallet? And what did he do with the wallet? And the things that remained in his wallet, we found a, a social security card, very important at that point of his life. And uh, it was back, um, <clears throat> you remember when wallets used to be super duper fat? Some of you may still have really fat wallets. You know, you put them in your pocket and you have to sit sideways. And um, I actually started putting my po- wallet in my front pocket because it began to be so funny on my back. But back in the day before uh, cell phones and you could carry electronically your photos, you'd have maybe a whole uh, series of sleeves in your wallet with photos. My dad had a couple of those and uh, some receipts that kind of helped us understand uh, where uh, where he'd been and some things that were important to him toward the end of his life. And got me thinking this week a little bit about, I've never really asked this question, but wondering if we found Jesus's wallet, what would be in Jesus's wallet? And what would it say about his life? I wonder, uh, maybe there uh, were uh, would be pictures. I wonder what the pictures would be like. Maybe um, a you know a selfie of him and and the three uh, disciples, John, James, and uh, Peter. Uh, maybe the twelve together, or maybe the the hordes on the hill that he uh, multiplied the fish and loaves and fed. Maybe a snapshot of that if if they had photography back then. I wonder what it would be like. Maybe you pull out a business card and maybe it'd say something like this: Jesus. Master carpenter, maker of the elements, can make you just about anything you want. Phone number, call this number. I wonder what it would be like. Or the receipts in his wallet, uh, what would that tell us about the things that were uh, of need for him or uh, things that were important to him? You know, if wallets could speak, if we all laid out our wallets this morning on this table in front of us, what would your wallet say about your life? What would your credit card say are really uh, the most important things to you? What would your driver's license say about the places you've been? If we still had photographs in our wallets, uh, what would they speak about us? What would the receipts tell that uh, were so important or uh, of, of need um, in a particular recent season of life? You know... <clears throat> Spiritual life is so intangible in so many ways, but the Bible continues to point us toward factors that that are very tangible that help us measure our spiritual life. Not for the display of other people, but help us understand where our hearts are before the Lord. And it's so important, and so often one of those measuring realities is, is about how we interact with money What sort of hold might money have or the love of money have in our life? How would God want our wallets to speak? If we say we are followers of Jesus, do the wallets, if they could speak, do they also say, yep, see right here, it demonstrates that reality. This morning is not about talking about a financial need of the church because, praise God, we're in a very healthy financial 
space. But that, that's not what is most important in this particular passage. It is about your and my spiritual health. And it's about what, what does money and our, our dealing with uh, wealth and all of that say about us. And this morning we're going to do a couple of things. Actually, three things. We're going to start with hearing a caution of Jesus. A caution. And then we're going to hear a question... And we're going to ask a question, and I'm going to leave you with that question this morning. And then we're going to talk about a quest. And think about the quest that God has for you and me as we pursue Jesus. And and one of the tangible ways in which we should do that. And how that tangible reality reflects what is truly essential for you and me. Are you ready? All right. A caution, a question, and a quest. A caution... Well, we should probably read our Bible first. How about that? We're going to look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and um, we're going to read the heart of this long passage, and then I'll refer to a couple of points before and after it. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in verse 14, this is Jesus' reply. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, the crowd there, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So in our Western world, we might pause there and say, Well, what in the world does our life consist If it's not in the accumulation of wealth and and all that um, many in the world around us might say is is of utmost importance. So let's listen. Verse 16, And Jesus told him this parable, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. But is not rich toward God. Living God, we pray this morning that your spirit would be free to do the work that you desire to do in each of our hearts. Because it's not about self-justification or anything else. We, We come because we need... We need purity in Your presence. And we need the joy of living with You and walking with You. And we pray that we would be open to Your voice. Not my ideas, but Your voice as You would speak them this morning. Minister to us, please, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, a caution and a question and a quest. Jesus... Uh, earlier in this passage, in this chapter, he actually, in verse uh, chapter 11, he'd been talking about the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, Jesus encountered them a lot, and along the way, he would fuss at them. And uh, Jesus, in some ways, had certain things in common, because there was a real passion for the Pharisees to, to follow 
God in sincerity. I mean, they, they really wanted to do it, but the way that they expressed their sincere following of God was to follow all of the rules and to get everything right, even if my heart wasn't engaged or if I could just honor God, it didn't matter sometimes what happened to the people around me. And sometimes people were left in the wake. And Jesus described, how many bakers, how many of you like to bake? Jeff, I know you like to bake. You better raise your hand. Who else? So about eight of us, ten of us maybe, like to bake. I'm not a huge cook or a big baker. A few years ago, my brother uh, taught me how to bake homemade cinnamon rolls. Man, are they good. And I remember the first time I hadn't worked a lot with yeast. Have you ever worked with yeast? I, I learned that you have to stir yeast into sort of lukewarm water, and, and then it gets mixed in, and as the dough begins to, to sit, it has to sit for a, a certain amount of time. I don't even know how long, but uh, I know what happens because of the effect of yeast. You can't see the yeast anymore, but it's in the dough, and what happens to that dough is the yeast, imperceived by the eye, begins to work within it. It begins to grow, right? It, it puffs up. Its work is there because the yeast is infused in the dough. And Jesus gives this caution. He said, Beware, beware, lest the yeast of the Pharisees also finds its way into your spiritual life. And sometimes it's imperceptible. Sometimes it infuses itself in us and slowly begins to work. And, and here's what he calls it. He says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Where we can talk about spiritual practice and religious activity and taking the Lord's Supper and all sorts of things, yet often, it, if we're not careful, the yeast of the, Pharisaic, the Pharisaical idea and mentality can work its way in us and suddenly we begin to talk about things that are important to us, yet the living of our lives tells a different story. So that's the caution. Be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so if we live lives that are not reflective regularly, asking and inviting the Lord regularly to examine our hearts and sitting with God's Word in the Bible in a regular way and saying, God, feed me and let this Word become in me so that the yeast of the world doesn't unknowingly do damage in my soul. And when it begins to, help me to see it and help me to sweep it out. You know, Jewish people, when they come to the Sabbath, they have this great practice of, in certain holy days, sweeping out uh, their homes and getting the yeast out. And it's such a great symbolic picture of cleansing and preparation for the work of God in their life. That's the caution. And then he comes to this parable of, um, of the rich fool. And really the question is asked is, how much is enough. How much in the world is enough? How much is enough income? How much is enough in our bank account? And um, certainly, um, I think it's right and good that, that we would save and prepare ourselves for uh, retirement. And no doubt about it, as we are able, we should do that. And that's not the question. But the question for a lot of us is, how much is enough? Jonathan Edwards, who died, I think, in 1758, so many, many years ago, Lest you think this is just a modern sensibility toward wealth or um, uh, dealing with things and uh, issues of poverty, it's, it's been part of the Christian life and part of teaching for, well, for time immemorial. Here's what he, he would say, and uh, I'm going to kind of read it to you and um, 
Uh, I'll give a little reflection on it. But Jonathan Edwards says this. Jonathan Edwards, if you're unaware, was probably many um, historians would call him. He was a theologian. He was a preacher, a pastor. And uh, many say that he's probably the greatest thinker that the United States has ever produced in its history. But here's what he said once in a sermon. He, he said, rich men, rich men may say, we have not more than enough for themselves to support their honor and dignity as is proper for the place and degree in which they stand. In other words, he's talking about sort of uh, you, you, when we gain a certain um, level of lifestyle and we become comfortable in, in the way that we're managing our lives and uh, we, it's easy for us to say, oh, I've expanded my life and I've got just enough to take care of these responsibilities and there's really nothing left over. But it's not just about rich people. Because he goes on, he says, those who are poor, so he talks about the rich, and then those who are poor will say, they have not too much. And those who are in the middle, right? So the middle incomer people, income earners, those who are of the middle sort will say, they have not too much. Thus, there will be found none to give to the poor. What's he saying? He's saying that, and it's so common for us, and one of the challenges in our world is, is as we get a promotion or a raise or a bonus, so often what we want to do is to expand our standard of living to accommodate this increased income. And part of what we're being challenged, I think, in this passage, as well as through the words of Jonathan Edwards, is to consider maybe thinking differently about when, when economic blessing comes, is there something else that God might want to do rather than with you, rather than and with me, rather than just expanding our situation and our standard of living so that then all of a sudden we say, oh, gosh, I've got all these new expenses and all this other stuff. Now I have just enough, right? That, that becomes the challenge in the world in which we live. And I know it's so hard to live here uh, as expensive as it is, but I want you to hear the words of a very learned man like him and to hear the words of Scripture. He goes on to talk about, in Galatians chapter 6, we talked last week when we uh, focused on the Good Samaritan and the parable of mercy and uh, why it is good for us to be thinking about and to be uh, available when God would provide opportunities for us to extend the mercy of God in a tangible way to people. Uh, we talked about how uh, Paul, to Galatians, he writes, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to hear another thing that Jonathan Edwards says about this. He says, in many cases, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. If our neighbor's difficulties and necessities be much greater than our own, and we see that he is not like to be otherwise relieved, we should be willing to suffer with him and to take part of his burden on ourselves. Else, how is it that the rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we be never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? It's a lot of words. Here's what he's saying, I think. Is that when we have the opportunity and God provides the opportunity to bear a brother's burdens, a sister's burdens in the faith community, 
Part of that was when they're unable to meet the burden that they carry on their own, is that we who can at times uh, and in seasons when we're able, we, we get beside them shoulder to shoulder and we let part of their burden slide over onto our shoulders. And sometimes it, we do it with personal sacrifice. Because we struggle. What Jonathan Edwards is suggesting is how can we bear someone's burdens if we're always doing it just when it's convenient for us? If we're always doing it when it doesn't cost us anything. It's just out of our extra. And that's good. But there may be times, is the point, there may be times when God would want you and I to sacrifice some of our own conveniences and comforts so that We also are being burdened in the process of letting someone who is struggling let their burdens in part slide off onto us. The call of Christ. So that's the question. The question is how much is enough? How much is enough? Being rich toward God. You see, the parable is that the man was successful. He worked hard. Praise the Lord. We're called to that. But the question is, how much for us is enough? This man's response was, well, I'm just going to throw it all in the bank. And I'm just going to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And the question is, has he been rich toward God? And the answer for him was no. And so the question for us is, how much is enough? Because sometimes abundance is not liberating. Sometimes abundance can be suffocating. How much is enough? That's our question for today. So the caution, be aware spiritually that the yeast of the Pharisees' thinking of talking a good game but not living the life, be careful. That's the caution. The question is how much is enough? And now the quest. What is the quest of our lives? So if a man's a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, what are we to do? Our focus isn't on self satisfaction and gratification. That's not our primary focus. Our primary focus is to be on the kingdom of God. Later on, Jesus, uh, in the verses that follow the parable, verses 22 and following, He describes the life of uh, being free and uncluttered from the worry of life, being overcome and overwhelmed by life's worries because we are so kingdom-focused and we're so trusting in God's provision and we're so thankful for that which He does provide to us. He, I was sitting here in a quiet moment. Can we be quiet just for a moment and listen outside? What do you hear? Birds. I love days like this. Jesus talks about how the birds, they, they don't go and they don't toil, they don't store up for themselves, yet God cares for them. And so how much more valuable are we to God? And how much more does He desire to care and provide for us? And then He says this, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then he goes on talking about what it means to store up treasure in heaven and not be so focused about building bigger barns and accumulation without asking the question, am I being rich toward God? So the quest for us is this. Are you ready? The quest is learning to focus our hearts. We are called to be people who set our hearts. I was driving... um, uh, how many were there? There were about 
five, five fifth grade children off to West Moran to an outdoor education school. And as we drove, we saw a bobcat. And I said, there's a bobcat. And, you know, they're all chatting and we're half a mile down the road. And they're like, where? I said, guys, look at the cows on the hill. We go around the corner. Where? So over and over, probably six different times, I pointed out things and, and they missed it. But my whole point was because I wanted to fix their eyes on something that I was looking at that I thought would be really interesting to them. So I kept pointing as we drove by, encouraging them to fix your eyes there, right? They had the choice to do it. And if they did it in a timely way, they were capable of fixing their eyes. And I think part of our calling in the Lord is to learn, increasingly so, to fix our hearts. It's not just saying, these are the things that are important to me, and so I'm going to follow my heart and go after them, because that's not always what Jesus has for you. We are taught to know the Lord, and as we do that biblically, God begins to change our desires, and then we begin, through that process of regular prayer and regularly seeking God through the Scripture and regular times in community like this and letting other people sharpen me and letting other people sharpen you, we begin to learn what it is to fix our hearts on the things that are important to God. And when we do that, we know that those become the greatest loves of our lives because we are choosing in a discipled way to fix our hearts on the things that really matter. Set your hearts and your minds on things above, we would be told in other places. Let Jesus' kingdom be first for you. And when we do that, it's amazing how ordered the rest of our lives begin to be. It may change, certainly, but it becomes right, and it becomes balanced, and it becomes weighted correctly in the right directions. I want to read one last passage of Scripture, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Ooh, I'm taking too long. Hear what the Scripture says later to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says this for your own reflection. 1 Timothy chapter 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let's be careful. It doesn't say money is evil. It doesn't say having money is evil. That's not at all what it says. But the love of money, not being rich toward God, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Wow. Boy, how does that help us shape our priorities in the Lord? The Lord's Supper as we... Take it together. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on these words and others from Jesus, to confess perhaps as you might need to, and and to turn fully 
to the wonder of the living Christ. Will the deacons come and join me at the front? It's a good opportunity. You can go ahead and sit down for a moment. It's a good opportunity for us to just re-examine what we have here in front of us. Um, we, in this church, about once a month, we we partake of the Lord's Supper, and uh, I think that schedule's been developed because it's uh, not too infrequent, lest we forget about it, but it doesn't become so common uh, that it becomes overly ordinary. And so uh, we have uh, bread and, and a cup that uh, help us picture and remember what Jesus has done on the cross, His death for our sins to remove the barrier that keeps us from God. And because of His work on the cross, our sins get attached to Him. And so a real relationship can be made and born and lived. And the cup also. Uh, One of the things that I want to let you know too this morning is that if, if you have your own for yourself... You've come to a place where you've invited Christ into your life. You have asked His forgiveness and you have said, I want to follow you as best I understand it today with my whole heart and my whole life. Then this table is for you. Uh, As the elements come, we'll just ask you to hang on to it. Um, And as you hold it, you can pray and reflect on it. We'll take it together as a picture of our unity and togetherness. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He... He took bread, and He broke it, and He blessed it, and He gave it out to His disciples, and He encouraged them to take it, and as they do, to remember the sacrifice that He made and His body broken on the cross. Let's pray. Living God, we thank You for this opportunity to remember what You have done for us, to rejoice in it, and to invite You to examine our hearts, search us, and know us, O God, and see if there be any wayward part in us. God, it's not about being beat up or feeling guilty. It's about allowing the liberty of Your freedom and joy and forgiveness to flow freely in us, cleanse us, Again this morning, we ask you now, in Jesus' name, amen.